Ellen Marie, how can I help you today? Hi, I've got a kitchen counter that's been in the house for quite a while, and unfortunately I do things on it I shouldn't, such as use acids and things like that because I repair ceramics for a hobby. Oh. And it, yeah, it looks really nasty, and I can't afford to put in marble yet. But as a temporary fix, I wondered what you would think of getting some either self-stick or buying the mastic and getting vinyl floor tiles and kind of doing a creative topping on top of the Formica counters, covering it over so it sort of looks like fake tile, or am I going to make a huge mess and regret it later? You are going to make a huge mess and regret it later. Oh. <laughs> now, what I would tell you, though, you, you said you work with tile. Why not get some tile and put on there? I thought about that, but what I... Well, then, then here's the next question. Is that base for mica, which is kind of scuffed up, and it's standard builder for mica, if mm -hmm. I were to go get nice Mexican tile or, you know, slate or anything, will that support it with the mastic and the grout, or will I have a problem? Well, they actually make a, a uh, adhesive that comes in a roll, and it's a tar-based adhesive that you literally roll out onto the countertop or on a backsplash, peel off the plastic on the other side, and set your tiles on it, and they're stuck. They're done. You're ready wow. to grout. And the beautiful part about it is, like if you're doing a backsplash, that acts as a moisture barrier as well, so you don't have to worry about moisture going through the grout. You can get this stuff at uh, Floor and Decor. I've seen it there, uh, and I personally have used it. I did the backsplash on my house with it about 13 years ago, and the tile is still right where I put it. Wow. So Floor and Decor, or what about my favorite uh, handyman store, Home Depot? I, you know, I have not seen it at Home Depot. Okay, just just checking because they're down the block. But Florida sure. Decor, I think, is in Plano. Yeah, they got a location in Plano. They got one in uh, Mesquite, and they, you know, there's there's five or six in the Metroplex. Okay, so it's a roll-on adhesive, and I'll go get that, and I will gladly now tell my husband, yes, dear, you were right. <laughs> oh, doesn't that hurt? No. <laughs> Yes, it, 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 it really, really does. It just, <laughs> it, it just does. I had all these visions of cutting it, and, you know, because vinyl's really easy to cut. And, you know, it is. Well, it probably would have. As, as long as that Formica is on there good, though, uh, th this, would, this adhesive would be a permanent fix, and really the, the cost of the tile, <clears throat> depending on what you get for tile, isn't that much. No. Better do it right the first time than, um, exactly. shall we say, make a disaster. Yep. Well, thank you so very much. You're welcome, ma'am, and you have a wonderful afternoon. Nancy, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. I need to know the very best way to remove wallpaper in a kitchen and bathroom. Are they paper, or are they vinyl, or are they the aluminum stuff? Vinyl and paper. Okay. If it's paper, you don't necessarily have to remove it. Are you wanting to texture the walls and paint, or are you wanting, what are you wanting to do? Yes. Okay. If it's truly paper, what I would recommend is you paint it first with a primer sealer. Get like a Zinser primer sealer and paint it. If it's all ad adhered real well, it'll stay in place, and what that primer sealer does is seal it up to where you don't have to worry about it any longer. 
Anything that is a little bit loose is going to blister up. You can cut that little area out, and then you use sheetrock mud to just put a skim coat right there where you had to cut something out and where the seams are in the wall in the uh, wallpaper, just like you would tape and float a, a regular wall. And uh -huh. you're ready to you're ready now to put texture on it and and uh, reseal it and paint it. So the, just tape in bed over the seams. You don't you don't even have to tape it. All you're going to do is is use your sheetrock mud to to go over the the seams just to hide them is all. Okay. If it's vinyl, you literally have to tear it off. And the unfortunate thing is, you know, you'll, you'll see a lot of products that you can spray onto wallpaper to peel it off. All that works great on paper. On vinyl, though, that seals all that moisture from getting behind it. Nothing's going to help on that. What you can do is scar it with a knife and put moisture that way to peel it off. But typically the best is to just get a corner loose and start peeling it off. And then you're going to skim coat the wall. And to do that, you'll take some sheetrock mud, mix a little water in it, and literally use a paint roller to roll the sheetrock mud onto the wall, a wide knife, sheetrock knife, to drag it smooth. You're ready to texture and paint. But roll on the texture and drag yep. with the sheetrock knife. Yep. Okay. So I don't have to remove everything. Okay. On the vinyl, on the vinyl, you have to remove it. On the paper, you do not. Yeah. Okay. okay. Nancy, good luck with that. Gary did just that. How can I help you, Gary? Yeah, I had a question about the dark roof versus the light roof. I'm getting ready to uh, change it because of the hail. Yeah. The, uh, is it better to put on a light roof, or is there much heat transfer between the difference between them? Well, you know, it used to be everybody believed that putting a, a light-colored roof would uh, help keep the attic cooler. And to a degree, that's true. But nowadays, with all the radiant barriers and stuff, it's really not as critical as it used to be. But here's the rule of thumb on roofs. The darker the color, the more it will heat up during the day. But the quicker it releases that heat at night. The lighter color won't heat up as much during the day, but it holds that heat late into the night so you know what i tell people is it really is not going to make a whole heck of a lot of difference especially if you have a radiant barrier in the attic uh put whatever color is going to match the house or enhance the looks of the house well it does have the radiant barrier on the underside of the uh flyboard whenever they whenever i built the house it's got that aluminum foil under there so and if you've got that, then then the color difference on the on the shingles really won't make diddly difference on on anything. Okay, that was my question. I appreciate it. You bet, Gary. Take care. Uh, again, two one four seven eight seven ten eighty. And I shouldn't say it won't make any difference because here's the biggest difference it can make. We don't have a huge pollution problem in Dallas getting onto the shingles, but if you get like a tan color or a gray color or something like that it will stay new looking longer than if you get say a white shingle they age quicker uh, looks wise doesn't change the durability of them just the looks of it tends to age quicker and as far as the energy efficiency though since you got the radiant barrier it really won't make any difference on energy efficiency 
of the home. So go with whatever color best suits your home. First, we're going to talk with Bill. How can I help you? Yeah, hi. Um, I just built a new home in Katy, and my last home had a little bit of foundation issues. Thought it might have been some plumbing, but no, it was a... Uh, or excuse me, I thought of it. It might have been some root structure or just the shifting soils, but it turned out to be a plumbing issue. And just to make absolute sure that I don't go through that scare ever again, I was wondering if you have some sort of uh, recommendation for like a drip irrigation system to protect the foundation so that I don't have any, you know, foundation issues. You know. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I just want to make now. sure and protect my investment. Okay. Uh, if you go to our website, thipro.com, there's a link to Due West Foundation Repair there. And I make no bones about it. That's one of my family businesses. And we have detailed instructions on how to water the foundation yourself with soaker hoses. And if you want, we can put in a professionally installed drip irrigation system for you. But the soaker hoses do a great job. The only thing I will caution you on, if you've got trees around the house, be prepared to put in some root barriers because if you start watering around the foundation and you got trees that aren't getting watered on the other side of the tree towards the road, they're going to send all their roots towards your foundation and you can cause a foundation problem that way as well. But if you'll put, a, put in a root barrier, that eliminates that risk. Okay. Only, yeah, the builder put but in a only dead put tree, barriers. So I've got to replace that. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, and just for everybody listening, you only barrier trees that are put in when the house was built or later. If the tree is older than the house, do not root barrier it because the soil is used to that tree taking the moisture out already. I have, so, I have to replace but, the tree. I'm actually going to use affordable tree care. Okay. There you go. And uh, like I said, the, the instructions are there. Uh, there's also a video on there that I did that shows you how to hook up the system and uh, get it to properly work for you. Wonderful. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Bill, you take care. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye. Al, this is Jim. How can I help you? Yes, sir. I'll call him about a 1,600 uh, square feet, quarters in a metal building. And okay. uh, I don't have that much uh, crawl space, maybe two and a half feet. And I was wondering what kind of system I could get, you know, like air and heat. That would be, you know, economical. Okay. Um, how many rooms are in it? Uh, it's going to just be a big uh, kitchen and uh, living room and, you know, one uh, one room. And then uh, two two bedrooms and uh, two okay. baths, which you know, it's really a forty by forty uh, square foot uh, area space, and I want to cool gotcha. off. Gotcha. I'll tell you what you need to take a look at. I mean, since you, if you've got two foot, you've got enough to run ductworks and stuff. But I mean, it's going to be a real pain to do it. Take a look at a ductless system, and what you would have is one outside unit. And then in the in the different rooms, there's a head unit in the room that heats and cools that particular room. So you've got better temperature control and actually lowers your utility bills because you don't have to keep the whole place 
the same temperature and it'll be easier to install in the type of application that you have. So I think that would really suit you well. Okay, well, let me ask you if, uh, would that be able to cool a, a 40 by 40? I mean, uh, what? Oh, yeah. What How many tons are you talking about? It, there is no limit. I mean, the outside unit can be sized properly for the size structure you have, and then the inside units are what control that each individual room. They're using these systems to even uh, air condition huge uh, multi-story buildings now because they do such a good job, uh, and you can piggyback one system on top of another when need be. Will in Austin, how can I help you today? Yes, yes, sir. Uh, my home in Austin, uh, the, the one of the corners of the house, the cement is chipped away at the bottom, and some mm-hmm. of the... Some of the rebars is showing and beginning to rust, and I'm wondering how big of a concern that is and what's the best way to deal with it. Well, you definitely want to get that rust on the rebar taken care of and cover it back up so that it doesn't continue to rust. Um, it is very common for the corners to chip off. What happens is when they pour a slab like that, the corner is exposed on two sides so it dries quicker the reinforcing doesn't go all the way out there it gets a little hairline crack there when it dries quicker and it just falls off yours happen to go all the way back to where the rebar is so get Mm -hmm. a, a wire brush disc on your drill clean that rust up real good put a rust inhibitor on there paint it and do you still have the corner that came off no it was in pieces and it happened over time you know okay um, you can uh, use some mortar to just reform a new corner that way. You know, sometimes you can use concrete, but it's it's easier if you just use mortar and pack it in there. You can use a rubber trowel to form it to the shape you want. It won't stay there forever. It will peel off again. But the reason you've already put the rust inhibitor and paint on that rebar is to protect it when that concrete does peel peel off again. Now, when you say rust inhibitor, are you talking about something that actually interacts with the rust and stops it from some creep going farther? Uh, you can use that, or you can use like a a uh, navel jelly to to clean everything off real good, and just use a primer and uh, paint on it. Either way, I personally do like those rust uh, inhibitor products that bond with the rust itself to to make it part of it. But okay. Sounds wonderful. Appreciate your help. Okay. Will, you take care. Alrighty. Anna, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. How can I help you today? Yes, sir. I have tiled bathrooms, like the around the bathtub, the shower, and the area between the bathtub and that tile has started peeling uh-huh. up, and the grout's come up, and now it's kind of accumulating mold, and I don't know yeah. how to fix that. Not sure if I should... Well, Scrape that grout out and regrout, or what I could do. Now it hadn't started separating. It's just that the grout is popping loose. Correct? Yes. Okay. You know that's not an uncommon problem because the building materials expand and contract with temperature changes, and as it does that, the corners of the showers and tub surrounds and stuff, and where the tub meets the tile and that will tend to do that. The best thing you could do is go ahead and scrape that existing grout out and then uh, use caulking instead of grout. The grout has no give to it. The caulking does. And uh, as long as you can match it with color, 
uh, I would do that, and you'll have far less problems to worry about on it. Okay, so just make sure to scrape all that grout first. Yeah, I mean, anything that's loose you want to take out, if it's any sections that are in solid, you can go over the top of it. Oh, okay. I was afraid okay. I'd have to scrape all of it all at one time. And I'm, nah. I could do it, nah, I could do nah. it, but I've got little kids running around, and that would be that would be interesting. Okay, well, yeah. I appreciate now, it. Thank you, you so want, much. Another thing, uh-huh. you said it's starting to grow some mold. Let's, let's address yeah. that real quick as well. Kill the mold first before you put the new grout in. Uh, you can okay. use bleach to kill it or something like that, but make sure you kill all that. And you may want to check, like I said, the corners where the tub meets the tile inside the shower uh, tub surround as well, because you may have to do the same thing there. Okay. Okay? All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Have a great weekend. All right. You too. Bye. Oi. Welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. <laughs> so uh, the question is, is I'm getting ready to build. Uh, is is there a right or wrong way to build the pier and beam in my location? That's what they're asking us to, to do for that particular location. Um, they're saying that cement is, is not so suitable for that piece of ground. So is there a right and wrong way to, to build a, a pier and beam uh, house? Who is telling you a slab is not suitable? The soils well, engineer uh, or the builder? Uh, just people in the area. Uh, everybody's building on pier and beam uh, because mm-hmm. they're saying that the ground level is, I guess they're saying it's uh, very shifty. Uh, I live in Whitney, okay. uh, Whitney area, and uh, they're telling me, okay, pier and beam is the best for this area. And I've noticed that my stepdad has a garage with uh, – cement in it and it's buckling it's got a bunch of cracks in it and so it might yeah. be that he the the foundation wasn't prepared properly or uh and then you know i don't know a lot of people are building a pier and beam in that area and, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with a pier and beam i was just curious because you know you're asking me how should it be built and all that and really yeah. you, what you want to do is get a soils test done okay because what the soils test will do is they're going to drill down 20 30 feet and see what's deep down to decide do you need piers drilled on this thing or would surface pads and if it's an expansive soil like you're talking about uh, and this is the issue out in the Whitney area uh, you're talking about actually putting in some drilled piers to get below those active soils to make the house stable right right but how deep you go depends on that soils test because in some cases and I and I'm not saying this is at your house, but there there can be a layer of sand that is ten foot down. Okay. Okay. So you you drill down, and if you stop on that surface of sand, when the moisture changes, the sand can shift a little bit, allowing the house to shift. If you right. drill deep into the sand, you know you're changing the ball of pressure. And if it's only say a two foot layer of sand, you would drill through it get down to more stable soils. So that's the stuff that the soils report would tell you. The, in gotcha. the report, they should tell you exactly how deep to go. Yeah, the, the, uh, the only reason why I also asked about that, I've seen people use parent beams uh, uh, blocks. And yep. and to me, that didn't seem so stable than just having a solid a concrete uh, uh, parent beam uh, situation. 
And so, it, and, um, and it's not. Let me tell you, I, you know, one of the companies I have is a foundation repair company. I have a foundation repair, plumbing, and an air conditioning company. And we're one of the few companies who still does pier and beam work. And I, I have to tell people all the time, yes, I'll adjust it. And no, I will not give you a lifetime warranty on it because I'm going to tell you up front, it's going to move again. Okay. And, you know, unless you get deep down in the ground, that's just the way it is. So would you suggest putting in uh, concrete with uh, reinforced uh, uh, situation on, on that particular ground? In most cases, yes, but, again, the soils report would tell you how deep and exactly okay. how big a diameter because, surprisingly enough, you know, some people think bigger is better, but depending on the soil, you may want a 8-inch shaft instead of a 12-inch because if there's a lot of uplift in the soil, the bigger the shaft, the more surface area that the soil can grab to heave the structure up. So all that gets addressed with that soils report. Now, uh, does the soils report, uh, and this is my last question, the soils report, is that That's okay. cost much? Uh, usually you're going to spend somewhere between $1,500, $2,000, sometimes less, sometimes a little bit more, depending on how far out you got to go. But it is well worth the money because I'll tell you, I start at 2000 and go up from there. All right. I appreciate you. Appreciate the information. All right. Now, don't put me out of business, Roy. <laughs> Thank you. We'll talk to you later. John, this is Jim. How can I help you? Uh, hi, Jim. Uh, I have a house in Lockhart, Texas, and it was a house that was built in the 1920s, and I'm wanting to totally renovate the house, but uh, okay. I'm having problems in trying to locate like a general contractor. What advice do you have? Well, unfortunately, out in an area like that, um, there's not a lot of general contractors out there. I mean, I shouldn't say there's not. There's a lot of people who want to be general contractors and, and live out in, in a place like that. But most of the time, what they want to do is build new construction instead of renovate. And finding good renovation contractors is tough. So the first thing I would recommend in a new area like that is check with neighbors and people who have had work done in the past. Uh, are you within the city limits? I guess. Okay, go to the city and check who's pulled permits. Uh, they can usually tell you who the better contractors are because your fly-by-night guys, they're not going to bother pulling permits. Your true staple contractors will permit their jobs. And uh, that's probably going to be your best way to start. Then once you you know, have the name of a contractor, you can talk with them and do the background check on them. You already know they're pulling their permits, so that's one good thing. You can check, make sure that they're carrying insurance, you know, general liability, workers' comp, that kind of stuff. They can probably provide you with a list of past customers that you can talk with and see what kind of work they did. And when you're talking with them, that the you know, the past customers, they're always going to give you the ones who tell you what a great job they did and all that stuff. What you're looking for, though, is... Well, did they show up every day on the job site or did they disappear for a while while they worked on other projects? Things like that to give you a, a giveaway of how they conduct business. And uh, then when you're talking with the contractor himself, is he subcontracting everything or has he got some of his own crews? 
I've got nothing against a suitcase contractor. I prefer to have a contractor who has at least some of his own people to do some of the work. So those are the, th the things I would check out. And when you do find a contractor um, and they and you're starting to negotiate for payments, how, how what is the best way to determine how to go ahead and do that? Is it a, a deposit that's made, or what do you? What is customary? You know, for me, for me, and even for my company, it depends on the size of the project. Now, on on our foundation repair. Um, I normally get half when I start the job and half upon completion. That's out of the ordinary for regular contracting, though. That's kind of a, the way that foundation repair contractors do it. My plumbing company, um, you know, we don't necessarily do it that way. It depends on the project that we're on. And same with air conditioning. But for general contracting, like you're talking about, normally there's a deposit that's, that goes into effect if they have to custom order anything. Or give them, you know, a deposit when they start the project, and have it set up on draws, so that as they finish certain phases, that's when you pay them again. Now, how, what what are you looking at having done? Uh, it's basically just like a whole renovation: kitchen, bathroom, and uh, tile and drywall. Okay, so there, that job will be broken up into to different phases. Uh, as an example you know when all the flooring is in they can draw x amount of dollars when the walls are finished x amount of dollars when and uh, when everything is completely finished you pay them off the final balance uh but as far as the deposit i probably would say on a project of that nature um short of the custom order if you're wanting custom tiles or anything like that or specialty tiles that have to be ordered you're probably looking at putting somewhere in the neighborhood of 20-25% down when they start the project. And then okay. usually you're going to have about three job or three draws through the project. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Never, I really appreciate it. Never. Oh, the big caution thing is never pay them more than they got coming. Okay. Okay. I appreciate that. John, you take care. Have a great weekend. Oh, you as well. Thank you so much. You bet. Bye-bye.